The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. I'm so grateful to be a part of uh, speaking at our, our Spring Renewal series. This is something we do every year that gets us going and ready for Easter. And our, our theme this year is No Greater Power. No Greater Power. And just invite you to, to ponder and feel those words a little bit. And I'm going to ask you a, a question that's at the heart of our series. And the question is, what is the greatest power in your life? What is the greatest power in your life? And if some of us honor, uh, answer honestly, I think that what we'd find is that the greatest power that there is is not always the greatest power in our lives. Sometimes we're choosing something different. Uh, something, for example, like, like fear. How many of us have had an experience, or maybe are experiencing now, fear being the greatest power in our lives? Fear, you are the greatest power in my life. That feels pretty sucky, doesn't it? <laughs> and, and I've been there, and when I've been in that, that place, you know, I, I honor and like the idea of living from love. I like the idea of living from peace and from understanding the belief that there's a higher power all around me. And, and yet, um, I, I still bow before the altar of anxiety. You know, the tools that I'm really using in my life are, are distrust and sometimes manipulation and, and deception. And, and it really does suck. And, and the thing is, is for so many of us, when we've lived with fear as the center of our life for so long, it's hard to admit it, but it's kind of comfortable. You know, the comfortable, miserable. You know, and it sounds great to live from love, and it sounds great to live from a sense of a, a higher power, but gosh, that would take too much courage, too much letting go, too, too much change. You know, then there are those of us who, if we're answering honestly, we might say that the answer is finances. Money, you are the greatest power in my life. That doesn't feel too good to say either, does it? You know, when you wake up in the morning and the first thing on your mind is how much money is in your bank account. You know, and it affects everything. It affects your mood. It affects how you interact with people. It even affects how you view this thing called life. And I certainly don't think money is the root of all evil, but I do think it can be the root of a, of a distraction to what really matters most in our lives, most particularly this, this inner worth, this great asset that we all have and can use in our lives. When we get too caught up and worried about what our finances look like, and I understand sometimes they're hard, we, we can lose that ability to remember what life's really about, to communicate and connect with those we love and to be committed to our own inner thriving. Then there are those of us who, when we're asked the question, what is the greatest power in your life? Our answer is, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know what the greatest power in my life is. Well, the good news about that is it can be anything. The bad news about that is it can be anything. Worry, someone else's worry. Some old, worn-out version of who we are that's not serving us anymore. You know, uh, obsessions with politics or obsessions with how someone sees us. It's a bit of a crude saying, but I think a powerful one from an activist by the name of Florence Kennedy. She said, the biggest sin 
in life is sitting on your ass. <laughs> and, and it speaks to this because to me, an even bigger sin is when we're given this gift of life and we, we don't use it. When we're given and blessed with this breath and we don't use it to make someone else's life better. When we're given the blessing of being here on this beautiful planet Earth in this beautiful country and we live our lives without a clear center, without a clear engine that moves us forward to what we can be. Thus, it makes sense that the greatest power in our life should be the greatest power that there is. The greatest power in your life should be the greatest power that there is. The power of love, God, spirit, the sacred. And like Reverend Simon alluded to in his prayer, not not the God that's, that's an individual out in the sky somewhere looking over us, but the God that is a creative presence, an active power available to you in your life, more real than anything. And when we center ourselves in this power, it centers itself in us. Immediately, I'm filled with a sense of deeper appreciation for life. Immediately, I'm reminded of my connections with those that I love the most and a desire to love them even more. Immediately, I'm rooted and anchored in a spirit that knows who I am and wants something wonderful for me. A lot of us believe in God, but we compartmentalize God. God's in the trunk of our life. Spend a little time checking in in the morning during a meditation, maybe Sunday at church. But it's time, it's time to change that. It's time to let that greater power into every area of your life. It's time to get God out of the trunk and into the driver's seat of your life. Because when we allow that presence to be the center of our being, to be the center of our lives, to say to ourselves, my God is bigger than my fear. My God is bigger than my bank account. My God is bigger than my sense of ignorance. My God is always bigger, always present. And when I bring that in alignment with my life, not only does it show up as a greater sense of spiritual connection, but it shows up in my ability to be a better parent, to be a better husband, to be a better person, to be a better citizen, a better listener. When God is at the center of our lives, we truly give ourselves the passageway to become and fulfill who we are. And when the divine isn't at the center of our lives, it's so easy to fall fragmentedly into who we are not. But as great as this power is, there's something important to remember about it, that the one power this power does not have is to insert itself as the center of your life. You have to choose it. You have to center yourself in it sometimes over and over again because we spent so much time centering ourselves in that fear or whatever it is that's kept us from that thriving life. There is no greater blessing than centering ourselves in the divine and allowing the greatest power that is truly become 
the greatest power in our lives. I love something that our founder, Dr. Ernest Holmes, said. He said, life is infinite energy coupled with limitless creative imagination. Isn't that cool? Life is infinite energy coupled with limitless creative imagination. It's true? It is the invisible essence and substance of every visible form. Its nature is goodness, truth, wisdom, and beauty, as well as energy and imagination. Our highest satisfaction comes from a sense of conscious union with this invisible life. All human endeavor is an attempt to get back to first principles, to find such an inward wholeness that all sense of fear, doubt, and uncertainty vanishes. If you feel like God's been absent from your life, it's time to let the Spirit back in again. If you feel like love has been absent from your life, it's time to welcome it back in again. And realize its absence isn't because it forgot you but because you've been called to remember and embody it in a new and profound way. God, you are never apart. You are the center of my life. God, you are never apart. You are the whole of my life. God, you are never apart. You are the heart of my life. I'm going to say that again and I invite you to to repeat it after me if it feels good. God, you are never apart. You are the center of my life. God, you are never apart. You are the whole of my life. God, you are never apart. You are the heart of my life. This question, what's the greatest power in your life? It can apply to us individually, but it also applies to our relationships. How easy it is to let the central power in one of our relationships, even with the people that we love the most, become something else than love. How easy it is to get a little bit of fear in there, a little bit of distrust, a little bit of resentment and judgment that hurts our relationships, that hurts our ability to thrive as couples, as parents, as children, as citizens. As most of you who know me know that um, my wife and I recently got to have a beautiful baby. My wife did most of the work. (laughs) And it's so clear that, that love is at the center of my relationship with this beautiful little girl. She's so wise. She loves you unconditionally without giving a heck who you are. I can hear her back there too, by the way. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and she can just hang. You know, she can just, just be there on the couch and hang out. She doesn't need to go outside or anything. She's just, just the whole world's right there. And, and boy, it's so clear that the divine is at the center of that relationship. Uh, while all this is going on, we have a different kind of birth going on in our home. Um, our son, who's 14, is, is moving from being a, a boy into a man. And it's not always a pretty process. 
You know, we kind of uh, stand outside his bedroom door at 1 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon wondering when he's going to wake up. And, <laughs> and you're not quite sure who's going to walk out. Is it going to be a little boy or Dwayne the Rock Johnson? You just never know. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I love this young man. I love this young man incredibly. And what I, I was noticing is, is like, like all teenagers, like I did, uh, we all make mistakes. And uh, I'll spare you the list of his crimes. But what I was noticing is when he was making a bigger mistake, I, I was being a really good dad. You know, I was able to take a deep breath and, and, and know that that center of our relationship was about knowing the truth of who he is, knowing what his capabilities are, and even facing trials along the road, that he's fully in alignment with embodying the great good, that his, his potential and using it in his life. So I was doing a really good job there. You know, I'm a minister. I know stuff, right? <laughs> Supposed to be able to do that. But what I, what I began to notice is when, when a, a little mistake was happening, when the refrigerator door wasn't getting shut all the way, or there was like a bag of Doritos left on the carpet spilling out, um, I, I'd become kind of enraged. <laughs> I'd become very angry. Gavin! Gavin has a, a, a one-sentence one impression of his dad. It goes like this, give me your phone. Give me your phone. Give me your phone. <laughs> and so I was noticing this, this anger coming up, and you know I'm a minister, I'm supposed to know stuff. I had to really stop and, 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 and look what was going on there. And, and the first thing I, I, I noticed was an immense sadness. There was some grief going on. There was some grief and sadness that um, the, the boy I knew so well what um, wasn't going to be in any longer. His essence was always going to stay. Uh, but but it, it wasn't there anymore. And, and to be honest, I was kind of resentful of him. You know, moms, I don't know how you do it. I was kind of, kind of a resentful, maybe even a little, little anger, angry, because he, he wasn't being who um, I, I used to need him to be and want him to be. He was becoming who, who he was. And at an even deeper level, there was some fear there. Fear that the bond that we've had in the past may be no longer or be in a different way. Fear that he might not love me anymore. Fear that I might be challenged at times to love him. And so here it is, someone I love as much, if not more than anyone in the world, and, and there that, that fear was creeping in. That sadness was creeping in. That uncertainty was creeping in. And I'm willing to bet that each and every one of us here has a relationship where maybe a little bit of that fear has been creeping in, a little bit of distrust. And so what is my work to do, not as a minister, but as a dad, is to get love back at the heart of that relationship. Not just when it comes to the big things, but all the little things, because those wind up adding up to be almost, if not more important. To get divinity back at the center of that relationship to realize that sometimes when something's going wrong in our relationships, it's not about us, it's not about the other person, it's the soil that's bringing that relationship forth. It's the power or the wrong power at the center of the relationship. I always love how the Buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh put it. He said, don't blame the lettuce. Don't blame the lettuce. He says, when you plant lettuce, if it does not grow well, you don't blame the lettuce. You look for reasons it is not doing well. It may need fertilizer or more water or less sun. You never blame the lettuce. Yet if we have problems with our friends or family, we blame the other person. 
But if we know how to take care of them, they will grow well, like the lettuce. Blaming has no positive effect at all, nor does trying to persuade using reason and argument. That is my experience. No blame, no reasoning, no argument, just understanding. If you understand and you show that you understand, you can love and the situation will change. I've got a skeptical mind. I realize that doesn't apply to every relationship. However, the point is clear that a relationship isn't about just two people. It's about what's nurturing it in the middle. What's nurturing your partnership? What's nourishing your relationships? And with my son, it was about getting love back in the center. I had to take a deep breath. That doesn't mean that I don't say, get your butt down here, clean up those Doritos. But sometimes I just should take a deep breath, forgive, you know, lay on the carpet and eat some Cool Ranch Doritos. It's cool. Just let it be. Surrender. This greater power is, is a way to activate the divine in your life. To activate the divine in yourself. To activate the divine in your relationships. God is never apart, but sometimes we've got to let God back in. We've got to let love back in. We've got to let the joy back in and let it nourish our souls and our lives and our relationships. Another aspect of working with this greater power is realizing it's more powerful than you think you are. Sometimes I have to pause during the day and ask myself, do I believe there's no greater power than God is or no greater power than I am? No greater power than God is or no greater power than I am? I don't mean this as a statement of low self-esteem, but but of, of being a control freak sometimes. Because when I believe that, that there's no greater power than I am, I revert to control and lack of trust in life around me. When there's no greater power than God is, I live in trust and I go with the flow. When there's no greater power than I am, the weight of the world is on my shoulders. When there's no greater power than God is, I trust and live in the knowledge that there's a power greater than I am working with me, a silent partner in all that I do. When there's no greater power than I am, I judge and live within the illusion that I'm right about things. Kind of a male quality sometimes too. When there's no greater power than God is, I can live in the mystery. I can live in the not knowing, knowing that wisdom is ever available and unveiling itself to me. When there's no greater power than I am, I fall into roles of dysfunction in my life. When there's no greater power than God is, I step into roles of empowerment in my life. Let me explain what I mean by that. What I would call our our roles of dysfunction is that role that you fall into when fear has been the center of your life too long. And it's funny because a lot of us who've been used to living in fear, we actually see them often as strengths. 
But when I'm in fear, I may fall into being manipulating. I may fall into being controlling. I may cut off and not talk to anybody. I may become very passive-aggressive. I may become very codependent. These are often skills we learned uh, growing up in dysfunctional families as children. It's this idea of the survival skill that we think it will help us get us where or what we want. So we slip into the roles of dysfunction. You know what your role of dysfunction is? I think we all, all tend to have one. And again, sometimes we think it's something really great about us. So for, for me, my role of dysfunction is to become a fixer. I see something going wrong. I don't want to be a part of the problem. I don't want to be uh, um, upset with me, so I'm going to try and fix it. I'll run in there. I, I, I secretly believe you can't do it yourself, so I'll get in there. And I think of myself as kind of a superhero. There you go, Mr. Fix-It. I'm here to fix your problems. I've got a chest full of tools, and I'm scared half to death. <laughs> you know, watch out. Watch out for me. And there's, there's humorous examples of being, trying to be a, a, a fixer. I, I recall uh, a woman sharing with me that she was having uh, trouble in her relationship, and so I gave her some great advice on how to let go of her boyfriend and ran into her and her uh, boyfriend who had become her fiancé a couple weeks later, and they had worked <laughs> things out. And I recall a, a, a woman at a, at, a, at a past church who would uh, pull up and she'd be carrying groceries for the homeless into the church and, and uh, she looked kind of frail, so I'd always try, try and help her. And one day she said, Josh, it's always great to see you, but you know, this is kind of the only exercise I ever get. Do you mind if I carry the groceries myself? <laughs> no. I don't think there's such thing as a helpless old lady. No, no, there's not. <laughs> but, it, but in a deeper sense... You know, I think of, of being a teacher and someone asking a philosophical question, and I, and I want to fix it. I want to give the right answer, but, but I, I don't stop and say, well, what do you think? What are your thoughts? We don't build that dialogue that helps the student get the idea through their own mind and their own thinking. Or I can think about sometimes with people I love the most, sharing a problem or a difficulty, and, and yes, from a deep heart place, wanting to take away their pain, but however, in the same way, taking away their capabilities, by wanting to fix their problems for them, when the truth is, is deep down, none of us want anyone to fix our problems. We want someone to know that we're capable of fixing them ourselves, that we have the tools and the support to face our challenges without someone else having to face them for us. You know, that's where that role of empowerment comes in. Because when we know God is at the center of our lives, when we know that God is at the center of the lives of those that we love, even when they're struggling, We can nurture that divine soil, and we don't have to fix. It's it's so easy to think we're a superhero and very quickly become a supervillain. You know, I I grew up with comic books partly as my religion, and... (laughs) You know, you learn, you learn pretty quick that, that the struggle between superheroes and supervillains isn't a battle between good and evil. It's about the ideas that you live under. Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, Wonder Woman. They live under ideas of, of helping humanity, of bringing about justice, about living for a power greater than yourself. The supervillain could actually be a superhero, whether it's the Joker or Dr. Octopus or Mr. Freeze, it doesn't matter. Uh, They're not evil. They all live under a false idea of resentment, the need to get revenge, that they're the ones that can fix the world's problems. And so thus it's so easy for us in our lives to think we're managing things properly when really we're in such a place of distrust and fear that we're contributing to a toxicity to our lives. 
But that's when we're called to get back to center. That's when we're called to invite the greater power of life in again. God, you are the heart of my life. The completeness of my being. There is no greater power. God, you are the heart of my life. The completeness of my being. There is no greater power. Jesus famously says in the Gospel of John, it is not I, but the Father within me that doeth the work. It is not I, but the Father within me that doeth the work. He didn't say that so that sports stars 2,000 years later can praise God when they've won the game. He, He was sharing a deep metaphysical teaching that when you center yourself in the Father, the Father takes care of the rest. When you center yourself in God, God takes care of the rest. When you center yourself in love, love takes care of the rest. Doesn't mean you still don't have to act. You still have to go to work. You still have to have the courageous conversation. But when you've centered yourself in love, for example, you've already done the most important work. Everything else that comes forward, every response, every reaction, every choice, comes with a power attached to it. A power to transform. A power to heal. A power to forgive. A power to give you courage. A power to say yes. A power to say no. A power to center yourself in the divine truth of who you are. A divine flow that will continue to carry you forward and unfold you. God, you are the heart of my life. The completeness of my being. There is no greater power. The heart of my life. The completeness of my being. There is no greater power. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, text 720 230 1404 or visit us at milehighchurch.org.